my life was constant hiding, hiding, by using, hiding from girls I was with that I was trying to get with other girls, really hiding exactly who I was to fit in. I remember whether it was the music I was listening to was what everyone else was listening to. I had to change the song. I had to start talking different. I had to start doing all these things where it's like, why do I feel like hiding is gonna what's gonna make me free? Why do I feel like I'm li- I'm gonna live my best life? It's me cutting off parts of myself, but I, I choose not to hide anymore. I choose to be out there and have the world accept me for who I am, and that's gonna make my relationships much more worth it. Darren Waller, we are here, episode uh, one. So just to set the context for everybody, Darren is sitting in a hotel room. It is a Saturday night. He's in New Jersey getting ready to play the New York Jets tomorrow. I am sitting here in Scottsdale, Arizona with French Bulldog sitting next to me. And we are pumped to get our podcast, Comeback Stories, launched. First episode, we're going to hear Darren's story. With all of our guests, we, for now, have a set of questions that we're going to help guide our guests through to tell their comeback stories. Question number one, Darren, tell us what growing up for you was like. So growing up for me, if I could say one word, I'll say it'd be confusing. And confusing for me because I feel like I was blessed with so much. I was blessed with a good family environment, both both parents there, an older sibling that set a good example. I was blessed with intelligence, athleticism. Lived in a good neighborhood, went to good schools. Sometimes I just felt like something was wrong with me. I felt lonely and lost, but I had all these resources, all these people around me. And it was like, why is it this way? Like, why am I such a sensitive kid? Why does everything get to me? Why do words just tear me apart? Like, why? I just don't didn't understand how I got into the thought processes and the mental states that I found myself in with all the things that were available to me and that I could access. So it was really confusing for me because I just felt like I was on a good path. It was just me against myself. That's what kind of started leading me down into darker moments. Where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. It's a town called Ackworth, Georgia, uh, about 30 minutes north of downtown. Played sports, football, basketball, baseball, tennis, really any sport in the cul-de-sac with the friends I grew up with. So I was there, high school, college, all in the Atlanta area. So that was home for me. And that's where I, that's where I set up shop. One of the things I think we all have in common in our childhood is an early memory of pain. So can you tell us, what was an early memory of pain for you? The earliest memory of pain for me was being told by my peers that I wasn't black enough. And I break down that statement now today, and it's like me not being black enough. Like, I'm a black person. That's like the essence of my being. And people telling me that I wasn't black enough, I couldn't change that about me. Like I was that, but to say I wasn't black enough was to say that who I was at my core, my base moment wasn't enough. And that's what I believed. And I adopted that as truth when I was younger. I didn't know how much pain or how long I would be holding on to those jokes that people used to say to me about how I would talk, how I would dress, who I would hang around, the girls that I was interested in. It was like something about that didn't look like everyone else. So I thought that what made me different was what was wrong with me. So that pain carries over all the way through high school, college, like even today playing football. It's sometimes I still struggle with doubt, even though people see me as one of the best players in the game. And it's like, where does that doubt come from? And I know I trace it back all the way to when people would tell me I wasn't black enough and how that just completely changed my reality. Yeah, I think one of the the big inspirations 
behind Darren and I starting this podcast was that we understand that pain is part of the shared human experience. If you're alive and you have a life, you are going to go through pain. You are going to struggle. You're going to go through tough times. And this is actually what connects us as humans. And so it's so great to hear even somebody like you share that on the level that you're playing on the outside for a lot of people, they might think it's been smooth, it's been easy, but we all go through stuff. It's what connects us. It's really the essence of common humanity. So when I hear a man's man, a guy's guy like you open up your heart and share, man, it's just, it feels like I'm in my purpose with you just having this conversation, hopefully sharing it with many people across the world. No doubt, man. Who was your first real teacher growing up? I would say my first real teacher was definitely my dad being the man of the house. I always looked to him for not even intentionally, but that was just, that was what was in front of me. So I was going to take from that because I was around him every day. And I was lucky enough to have a lot of good things that I could take away from my dad just off of him and my mom always had a way of challenging us to be great in school and everything that we tried and to give great effort, but without being that overbearing parent that was almost demeaning or just like all over their kids. It was, they said what they wanted from us and expected from us, but also they allowed us to go have fun and give forth our best effort and be able to fail and not have to come home to have them ripping our heads off. I saw the way he treated my mom and he respected her. If they had, I'm sure they had arguments like most relationships and people do because they're human, but it was never dealt in a negative way in front of us. He respected my mom, treated her well, spoke to her with respect. So I saw that in how I was supposed to treat women going forward. He, he had a great sense of humor, hilarious, but it could also find a way to be stern. So he had that great balance, just that unconditional love. I was, I put my parents and my dad through so much with getting in trouble from starting in middle school to getting arrested multiple times, uh, all the way through college. So many things where they could have gave up hope on me, stopped loving me the way they used to because it wasn't all successful, but my, my dad's unconditional love was something that I took going forward. And he just taught me that it's never over when I make a mistake. So my dad put forth a great example for me. How would you say you mentioned a couple qualities? One was balance. Another one was unconditional love. How are you using your dad's teachings of balance and unconditional love in your life today? Yeah, I just see as far as the balance that there's a lot of situations where the good in my life or the good in my game, the good in anything I'm involved in can be put an exclamation point on it. Like it could be blown out of proportion also with the negative. So I just try to take that mindset and going through things with the thought of, okay, like things are going good right now, but you know, they could be worse. Okay. Things are going bad right now, but they, they're going to get better. So I don't try to lean too far one way or ride that emotional roller coaster. I mean, as far as unconditional love, I, but the way that he loved me through all my mistakes and through all my shortcomings, I am able to apply that better to my relationships with other people, uh, even strangers, even people I don't know where it could be so easy to judge. I try to seek to understand now and ask what they may be going through, what may have led them to thinking or acting the way that they did instead of just writing them off right there from the jump. So I feel like those my dad planting those things in me are really coming out of me now and it and allows me to you know, live a better life because of it. Amazing. And I think why we are talking to each other today is because of our past addictions and our current life in sobriety. So can you just give us the Cliff Notes version or as much as you want to of of your story 
of what it was like, what happened and, and where you're at now, what your life is like. Yeah, to sum it up, I was, like I said, I was a sensitive kid and I realized that, or I thought myself that I wasn't good enough for people, but I realized that people would approve of me and I could find worth in sports. And so I was really good at football and I put my self-worth, my identity in that and just ran with it. And things started to get good with uh, football toward the end of my high school career. And it was oddly around the time I started using drugs. I started, I was addicted to opioids, painkillers as early as, you know, 15, 16 years old, started drinking at 16, smoking weed at 16. And it was like when I started doing drugs to take that edge off that anxiety from trying to please people all the time and not being okay in who I was at my core, things started to get better as soon as I started using. Like I made the varsity football team, varsity basketball team, had scholarship offers coming in for football. And so I was just like, wow, this is just how I'm going to live my life. Like I'm meant to be this guy. I'm meant to be getting high, getting messed up and being this athlete and fitting that mold when that wasn't really my image. And so I started running with that image, even though it wasn't who I was. So I was really just living a lie in a sense. I didn't even know. I was just so caught up in the outside attention that I was getting. And I love that so much. And so I'm going into college and I take that with me and I want to go be on the party scene everywhere so people can see me and be around me and just give me that thumbs up. Oh man, you're a cool guy. Like you're all right. Because I didn't have that when I was younger. So I get to college. I'm at Georgia Tech. My football, my game gets better every single year, but it's like an inverse on the inside of me where my life feels like it's crumbling each and every day, like each and every year it's getting worse on the inside. But I've gotten so good at putting that mask on and showing people that I'm happy. I'm on the field. I'm doing my thing. I'm loving life. Life can't get any better. And really on the inside, it's I feel like I'm dying. I feel like my life couldn't get any worse, even though I have all these things I thought that I wanted. And it just gets worse and worse as I go into the league. I get drafted. And as you think, I went to the Baltimore Ravens first, and you think it's like and the greatest moment of your life, but I just felt the weight you know, increase exponentially on my back going there, being a pro athlete, and feeling like I have to represent all these people from back home and please so much people even more. And my using is getting, has already been out of control in college, and it's just like getting just sickening at this point in the league. And I realize I'm, I'm as miserable as I could possibly imagine, even though I signed a multi-million dollar contract. I always wanted women to, you know, lust after me because they didn't really like me when I was younger. And so I had that as an option. Just the status of being in the league. It's, I had all those things I thought I wanted, but none of them made me happy. None of them gave me peace. None of them made my life satisfying. And I just continued living, floating through life. It's just, I wasn't really living. It was just like time was passing by and I was just deteriorating. And I ended up getting suspended from the league for a year because I basically sabotaged myself out. I didn't want to play football anymore. Just wanted to quit and get out of there. And I did that. And I said I was going to get better, but I didn't. I ended up using drugs even more, like at a higher rate than what I did with the team. And then I ended up going through what I had to go through there and having to bounce back, going to rehab, working out of a farmer's market just trying to learn the value of hard work again and just being true to myself, going to recovery meetings. And I get another opportunity to play football again, and I pretty much run with it. It didn't happen as quick as, as I wanted it to. When I got back, I was in the practice squad for almost a full season. And then I got an opportunity with another team, with the Raiders, and I just kind of ran with it from there. And yeah, that's that's a, just a bit of my story in a nutshell. When you were at your, in the depths of your addiction and, and before you finally surrendered, what would you say, what was the biggest thing holding you back? 
I think the biggest thing that was holding me back was trying to gain approval and respect from others before, you know, I really showed it to myself. I couldn't, I didn't think I was cool unless somebody else gave me the thumbs up. I didn't think my game was all that unless somebody else told me I was doing my thing. I, you know, it was, it never came from me. So I was never able to control the narrative. I was always giving my power away to other people. And for that mindset had changed for me in order for me to really harness the power that I knew I had in my life. I had these voids on the inside of me that I was trying to fill with other people, with things, with experiences, with drugs and alcohol. And it was like, I can't fill these voids with things that aren't me, with things that aren't inside of me. So I had to shed that mindset that other people's approval is making me or breaking me. It had to be what God thinks of me and what I think of me. It's powerful stuff. I always ask, I ask myself this question. I ask some of the people that I work with a lot of times it's a, it's about an intention and what, what am I chasing and why am I chasing it? And it's really looking back. We're not going to be asking ourselves that question when we're at our bottom, when we're lost, when we're confused, but it sounds like you were chasing approval. And if you were to step back and ask yourself that question and say, what am I chasing and why am I chasing it? You answered the question to fill a void, right? You were seeking for something outside of yourself that you couldn't fill fill yourself. And this is episode one, but you're going to hear the topic of self-love. And I have to laugh because I grew up an athlete myself. And to think about, I was never taught how to love myself in grade school, in high school. I was always taught to push through the pain, never let them see a sweat. And so now to be able to have two guys talking about the importance of self-love, that I have to chuckle, but it's what it's all about. This is real talk, and these this is meaningful conversation at its finest for me. So what was your lowest point? Or if you were to follow up with the question, I knew I was at my lowest point when, what was that for you? So my lowest point was... I would say it was threefold. I would say it was a physical low point, a mental low point, an emotional low point. I mean, even fourfold, spiritual low point. August 11, 2017, the day I'll never forget, I overdosed in my Jeep in the parking lot of a giant grocery store in Owings Mills, Maryland, which was really like right around the corner from the Baltimore Ravens practice facility. And this was two months after I was suspended from the team for a year. And you think that, oh, he's getting his stuff together, like, in the suspension, but I'm really progressing further and further down that road that I didn't even really want to be on. And it led me to that point. And so I'm saying, here I am saying I changed, but my actions didn't match. I had no real intimate friendships and relationships. It was all just hiding things from people, isolating myself. And it's just in that moment, that's where that isolation felt the greatest. I was so alone and just feeling, feeling cold. It was just, I just felt so alone and so lost and just so helpless in that moment. I just remember thinking at that time, like leading up to that overdose, it was just like, I feel like I could just be my happiest if I would, could just get high and just be left alone by people. But it's just, you know, I just relived all that pain that I felt when I woke up from it and just how everything progressed when I was younger from when I wasn't black enough to when I wasn't cool in, in high school until people noticed me for playing football. It's like all those things, all those pains I kept trying to mask before it was like all that pain was just delayed until that moment and that was a moment for me where i was able to feel all that for once and not run from it and just realize like something has to change something has to give because the way that i'm trying to live the you know it's just not healthy for me i could die i could be institutionalized i could 
I'll be going to jail again. And it's just, you know, why do I keep doing this? So that moment for me was an absolute low point on so many levels. And, uh, but it was also a moment I'll never forget in a positive way because that's where change was sparked. Something else we have in common is we both have had an overdose in our addiction. And I guess you'll have to come back for episode two to hear to hear about my overdose and my story around that. But it's powerful stuff, man. It's real. It's raw. And I think that's, again, why we're here. Why we're here talking about this in hopes to remind other people that they're not alone. Because I know at my lowest point, I felt like I was all alone and that nobody understood. And I was the only one going through this. There's intention behind these questions that we're asking each other and that we're going to ask our guests because it's a reminder that we're not alone. We're never alone. And that's just a follow-up to my next question. So what was the story that you had to stop telling yourself to start telling your comeback story? The story I had to stop telling myself to tell a comeback story was that what makes me different is what's wrong with me. When really the story I should be telling myself is, which I tell myself now, is what makes me different is what makes me special. I had to forgive myself for believing that lie back in the day that there was something wrong with me the whole time. Like I couldn't measure up that, you know, that I had to prescribe to some definition of black that shouldn't even be pumped into our brains as young people. I had to forgive myself for giving my power away to other people. Like I said before, my today, my greatest asset is being different. The way that I live my life, the way that I go about living in recovery and my daily routines and the things that I'm interested in, the things that I partake in. There's not a lot of people doing what I'm doing. There's not a lot of people trying to you know, surrender their life and serve others the way that I'm trying to do it. It's just rare for people that are at my age, but I have to accept that and embrace that and realize that the world needs me at my best. No one else can be me and that I provide value by being myself. I'm trying to fit someone else's image and fit someone else's mold. The world is being robbed of my existence. And I feel like what I have to offer other people is a story that you're not really getting anywhere else. So I just realized that Whatever, however different I may be from other people, however set apart I may feel alienated, that as long as I'm being me, that the things that I want to see happen or come to my life are going to happen. So I just had to realize that the story I was telling myself was a complete lie. And once I realized that and accepted that, I was able to move forward and realize who I really was. Mm. The only story that matters is the one we tell ourselves. And that quote, and I don't know who who originally said it, but it's something that I remind myself because all that arises starts with our thoughts. Me and Darren do a lot of work together on uh, mindset and mental strength and personal development and meditation. These are some of the benefits and the byproducts of committing to a, a practice, a daily practice of training the mind to work for you and not against you because our reality is shaped by our thoughts. And if our thoughts are very negative about ourselves or about the world, we're, we're going to get more negativity into our world, which is also why we practice gratitude. So what are you most grateful for today? I'm grateful for so much, but I'll have to sum it into I'm grateful for my recovery because so much springs from my recovery. Through my recovery, I've learned gratitude. I've learned what real humility is. I've learned what open-mindedness is. I've become a much more open-minded individual. I've learned the definition of intimacy. I've learned my resurrection of my football career has happened because of my recovery. I feel like I've grown in my music being in recovery and being sober. I feel like just the way that I've had to surrender everything that I thought 
was going to make my life worth something before realizing that the opposite of all those things was going to make me free was what was going to make me at peace and bring joy into my life. I'm eternally grateful to be in recovery. I'm eternally grateful to what my recovery means to other people. I didn't know that my story would become an asset. I didn't know everything that I went through, everything that I was afraid to talk about, afraid to share about before would become my greatest weapon. Like I was, I had no plans on being on national television, sharing my deepest insecurities or the moments that are the ugliest and the most shameful in my life. I had no plans on doing that, but getting into recovery and working the steps and, you know, working that program in my life every day, God had different plans for me. He said, I'm going to use this for a much greater purpose. It's going to change people's lives because there's not a person in my shoes or in my, the career that I'm in that is being this vulnerable because people that are successful, it's, we're strong. We, we get through everything. We go over everything. But it's like me, I'm here because I did fail. I'm here because I had to be brought down to my knees and humbled and shown a different way to live in order for me to rise up and really be who I am as a person. And I know that there are some people out there that need that to happen themselves. I just want to let them know that whatever you're recovering from, you may not be an alcoholic or a drug addict, but whatever your recovery process is, trust that process. Because for me, it unlocked so much in my life that I didn't know was there. I didn't know I could tap into. And now I couldn't be more grateful for my life. So I'm grateful for my recovery, number one. Man, there's so much you said there that I want to unpack for a moment. And for some of you that aren't aware of what he's sharing about, talking about his story of recovery on national TV, the Raiders were on HBO's Hard Knocks a couple of years ago. Was that two years ago? Uh, yeah, yeah. 2019 training camp. 2019 training camp. And that's actually was my first introduction to Darren and Darren's story. And the, the dude had me in tears. I remember watching it and just saying, I have to connect with this guy. To me, it nobody gains more respect than the ones that are using a big stage like the NFL to carry the message, to be able to put his pride aside and share this is I, d- I did the same thing, but it isn't on near as a big of a stage. And so when I saw him do it, I'm like, this is everything. These are the types of people that I want to lock arms with. It's just so cool to be here. Episode one, reflecting on how it all transpired, man. It's an honor and a gift to, to be here with you. And a couple things you said as far as tied into your gratitude and what recovery has taught you. One was humility. First time I started working with Darren, I flew to Vegas and he picked me up from the airport and just the humility of a guy that is not at all, and I'm not going to get into the specifics, but not at all caught up in the material stuff, the big cars, the big houses, just as humbled as a guy as you could ever imagine. And so you were oozing with humility from the get-go when I connected with you, man. And then the open-minded, that's something else that you talked about. And anything I've ever suggested to him as a coach, helping him out with some certain things and it's mindset coaching, but it's really personal development. It's life. Now he's got his coaches on the field, but there's, there's certain things that we can work on every single day, no matter what your profession is, that you can, if we're chipping away at all the things really getting in the way of us being the best version of us, it doesn't matter if you're an NFL football player or leading a company or working at Sprouts, which you've done that also. It's about how can we show up each day as the best version of ourselves. 
And so much of it is the work of creating awareness to see what's stopping us and slowing us down. And you've been as open-minded as anybody I've ever worked with. Intimacy is another one. When me and Darren talk about intimacy, we talk about intimate conversations. And we're talking about conversations we're having with each other. And it has nothing to do with sexual intimacy. It has to do with real, meaningful, vulnerable, raw conversations. And to be able to have those man to man is, it's such a blessing. And it just makes me not want to have any, anybody fake or any of that fake stuff in my life. Thank you for that. And then the music. And and if you don't know the intro music you heard in the beginning and at the end of this podcast, that's all Darren's creation. So the dude's on fire. All right. So you get one 140 character text to send to yourself from the future. What are you going to say? 140 character text. I would say just because you're striving for greatness doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Uh, By being the most authentic version of yourself, you attract everything that you're looking for. And by that, you know, I always felt like I had to perform for people. I always felt my performance was going to make me worth it. Like something that I did, something that I earned, something that I worked for or showed you. Uh, was going to get me what I wanted or get me to that place of feeling like I mean something or I'm okay. But I realized that I choose progression over perfection every day. It's not about arriving at some destination where I'm perfect and I can kick my feet up and I don't have to do any more work. There's always work to be done. And that's what great ones do. And, And by great ones, it doesn't have to be where everyone sees it. It could just be in any walk of life that you're on, anything that you partake in. You can be great at it by continuing to show up, continuing to have the right attitude, continuing to be selfless. You know, that's just the life I'm trying to lead now. Listen, the results aren't always going to go my way. I'm not always going to be perfect or just out here shining and everything's good. On those days where things aren't as good, I can still love myself and be okay with myself and know that I'm still working towards everything that I want. And those things are coming my way because I'm being real. I'm being me and I'm not trying to hide. I'm not trying to run. I'm facing things head on and I feel like I'm tough enough to live with the consequences. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up progress over perfection, which is, I don't know if it was for you, but that was something I heard in the rooms of recovery initially, but Mm -hmm. definitely something I apply to every area of my life. And it really brings up just what you're sharing, how being authentic and telling your story and, and, and sharing your mess and your imperfections, that connects you way more than having a fake facade, which there's plenty of fakeness out there, be it social media. And, and, and it's not to, to get into any kind of rant with that. But what I've come to understand that perfect isn't even real. And what's more relatable, and I don't know about you, but what when my life completely changed is when I shared my imperfections, when I shared my mess and my story, that's when I found my voice, found my purpose. That's when it all started to change for me. Before that, I was so worried about people seeing me and knowing about my secret. Was that kind of the same experience for you? Oh, yeah. I I was, my life was a constant hiding, hiding my using, hiding from girls I was with that I was trying to get with other girls, really hiding exactly who I was to fit in. I remember whether it was the music I was listening to, wasn't what everyone else was listening to. I had to change the song. If I was dressing different than everyone else was dressing, I had to, get it in line. Like I had to start talking different. I had to start doing all these things where it's like, 
Why do I feel like hiding is going to what's going to make me free? Why do I feel like I'm li- I'm going to live my best life? It's me cutting off parts of myself, but I, I choose not to hide anymore. I choose to be out there and have the world accept me for who I am, and that's going to make my relationships much more worth it. Uh, everything that I partake in is going to it's going if it's not going to be the best result I want, it's going to be something that I can learn. Uh, a large amount from. I'm here. I'm open, and I am thankful that you helped me to, to live this out every day of my life. Yeah, man, it's it's a fun ride, and I think one of our main intentions and our purpose in launching this podcast is to help other people. And yeah. so, what would you say to somebody who knows or, or who doesn't know the biggest thing holding them back? What would you say to somebody who, or maybe they do know what it is, but they don't know what to do with it? or no, don't know what to do about it, what would you say to them? Somebody who knows or doesn't even know what's holding them back, I would say, are you going about this process alone? Because we as people, we can see ourselves pretty well, but we have these blind spots that we don't tend to see on our own. And we need people, we need community, we need accountability to point those things out to us and allow us to see things from a different angle. We need people in our life that have progress, living life the way that we want to live and pick their brains, be in their hip pockets and ask them how they're doing things, why they're doing things a certain way. And just like a couple of minutes ago, we talked about intimacy. I have a, a mentor in sobriety, shout out my man, Scott G. He told me that I won't learn how to be intimate just by laying in the bed with women. I learned how to be intimate, sharing my innermost feelings and thoughts uh, with other men and having them, allow them to be there for me, allow me to open myself up and to have people there that still love me for who I am, despite my worst mistakes, my worst thoughts. So I would just ask people, are you doing this alone? Who's helping you? And I would also ask them, what is the impact that fear is having on your transformation? I was told that fear is false evidence appearing real. We always want to run from these things instead of confronting them head on. And if you're not addressing fear in the way that you properly should, you're going to continue to get the same results. It's going to be insanity, basically. We're going to we're thinking we're going to get different results by trying new ways to navigate around the things that are causing us the most pain instead of walking right through them, instead of experiencing them and uh, sitting with them to see what is this pain teaching me? What is this loss teaching me? So I would say, who's with you in this process and what is fear keeping you from, from attaining? On the topic of fear, if you go back into your the depths of your addiction, what were you most afraid of? I was most afraid of people seeing me the way that I saw myself. So I would always find a new way to act like I had things under control or act like I knew what I was talking about in any area of my life. When I really, even to this day, I don't think I know much. I feel like I'm giving it my best effort. I feel like I'm going about it the best way I can with the best effort. But I'm not, a, I don't know everything by any means. But back then, I was trying to protect this image that wasn't even me. So I had to go to these extra links just to convince you that. I was somebody when really on the inside, I knew what was going on. I knew that I was falling apart, but I was just afraid that you would tell me I would fall apart because I'm that, I'm still that same kid when I was younger, when anything that you would say to me would crush me. So I had to make sure that you weren't telling me the things that I didn't want to hear. Wow. Yeah. I do believe that fear can either freeze us or it can fuel us. And so when we dive in and we do some of this work and we really get clear on what we're afraid of, we can actually reframe it and use it for motivation. So how do you use fear today to motivate you and to inspire you into action? I just see fear as another obstacle 
but also another opportunity for me to to trust in God, another opportunity for me to trust in the work that I'm doing. Because fear is only there when I take my eye off of the, the steps that I need to take. So I see fear and I just reminded that if I wasn't doing something that was big, something that was great, something that was taking everything inside of me to work, then I, I wouldn't be afraid. I wouldn't be afraid if I was living a simple life. I wouldn't be afraid if I was living on a low level, but I'm raising the rim in my life. And I have people around me that are making sure I'm doing that. So there's going to be fear at every level. So when I see fear, I see it as a blessing. I see it as something that's there because I'm really pushing myself to be the best that I can be. And I remind myself that, hey, this is another opportunity for me to trust something that's greater than myself and for me to you know, put my best on display. I just see fear with a whole different eye today. Mm. Yeah, it's it's definitely all about perspective. And as you're sharing that, I'm thinking about, I asked you the question and how you use fear today to motivate yourself. And then, and then I started to answer that myself in my head. And yeah. for me, it's about not living my purpose. And I know my purpose is to be here with you talking about recovery, comebacks. It doesn't have to be recovery, recovering from drug addiction or alcoholism. I don't think that I don't want this to sound like a blanket statement, but I do believe we're all recovering from something, especially right now. And so it's just so important like to to how I always use the words how dare I not or how dare we not carry this message? How dare we not share our story to remind people that they're not alone? even though they might see catching touchdowns on Sundays and think it's like all good and it's always been all good. There's nothing more important than people being able to share their comeback stories. And it's not about, this isn't about you. This is about us and reminding everybody else because we're all in this together. And the truth is we all have a comeback story in us. And sometimes we have to change our story. We have to stop telling ourselves certain things it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome, man, to see the transformation and the strength and uh, vulnerability and just boldness that you've had stepping into your truth. So we know we can't do this alone. It takes a team. It takes a squad. So who gets your comeback story shout out? My comeback story shout out definitely goes to my dad. Shout out to my pops. I, I always remember this quote that he told me one time. He said, you're always my horse, even if you never win a race. And that's something that stuck with me. It allowed me to free myself from that perfectionism, that desire to perform. And he was there in my corner after every failure, after every arrest, after every suspension, after every call home from school when I was younger, everything that happened, it was always met with, a, okay, it happened. Now, what do we do now? What do we do next? We're not going to sit here. We're going to build from this. This is going to contribute to the power that you're going to unleash in the rest of your life going forward. So. He was always there for me, uh, always kept a good attitude, pushed me to be a great man. And I'm thankful for his example. Dad, I love you. Thank you, man. I thank you for that. You're, you were my biggest fan when, you know, I was down bad. I was messed up. I was hurting. You were a, a bigger fan then than you are now today with me being back and playing football and everything. So I'm just thank you for your love and everything that you contributed to my life, man. I love you. And I really couldn't even express it enough in words. Powerful, man. You deserve to be episode one, because in my eyes, you have one of the all-time epic comeback stories. So I just want to acknowledge you for your willingness, man, to always say yes, whether it's doing the podcast or doing the work or me suggesting certain things throughout the week in our practices and just your honesty 
that honesty is inspiring, man. It's inspiring when you get real and raw and honest. It makes me want to be more honest and real. And, and the humility is something that I know, I know it's a strength, not a weakness, but I know I still have to work on that. So when I see humility in action in somebody like you, once again, it inspires. Like the words are one thing, but it's the actions. It's you stepping into your truth, not caring about being on national television and sharing your past and how it's transformed into your your best asset is one of the coolest things. I think that's where for many of us in the recovery world, we share this common struggle. We understand why we did what we did. We also understand the freedom and the life we've been given once we finally get honest, get open-minded and be willing. And what's really cool, they say in the in the rooms of recovery that the the core of our addiction or alcoholism is selfishness and self-centeredness. And so who I see here today in you is somebody that's completely selfless. But I think me and you both know, and you mentioned this before in another conversation we had about how sobriety is this like cheat code. And one of the ways that we can reframe, like we actually are being selfish right now, but we're being selfish in a way that serves us and can serve and help other people where before our selfishness, we were just taking everybody down with us. So it's an honor, man. I'm excited for this journey. This is episode one of many of Comeback Stories podcast. So we're going to wrap it up. But again, Darren, thank you again. And episode two is going to be Darren interviewing me and, and me sharing my comeback story. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good one, man. Thank you. All right, brother. Good luck tomorrow. All right. Appreciate you, man. All right. This is what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's going to get crowned.